Hi, I'm Trevor Cochran, and this is The Garden Gurus Live, a weekly show where I'll share seasonal gardening advice, feature a variety of gardeners from all across Australia, and give listeners the opportunity to interact and ask your garden questions. To join the chat live and ask your gardening questions, all you need to do is like our Facebook page and tune in. This program is brought to you by The Garden Gurus and Scott's Performance Naturals. Scott's Performance Naturals is the 100% natural and sustainable way to grow and feed your garden. Backed by years of research and developed by scientists, the technology employed enhances natural processes, allowing extra strong growth. The Performance Naturals range contains organic materials such as nature N, blood and bone, seaweed, biostimulants, manure and feather meal to improve the soil and encourage microbial and earthworm activity. To find out more about the Scott's Performance Naturals range, head to lovethegarden.com.au. Hi, welcome to the Garden Gurus Live. I'm Joanne Harris. It's great to be back with you this Monday morning. Um, I'm filling in for Trevor while he's away earning a well-earned break on Christmas Island. so speaking of Christmas, um, it's definitely in the year. I guess you'd agree with me there. Um, have we, and we have a very festive show for you today. Here's what's coming up. Um, have you bought all your Christmas gifts yet? Uh, last week, Trevor, Trevor caught up with uh, David and Burkle from Garden Express to chat, chat about some great gift ideas um, for any of our green thumbs in the family. Um, or stumped for festive ideas or need indoor plant advice. Uh, Karen Goldie knows it all and she's here with Trevor. Um, he caught up with her last week. Um, Karen's from Love the Garden and last week to get some plant inspiration from the festive season they got together. Later in the show I'll be sharing uh, the plant of the week. If you have any gardening questions or queries, um, please post them in the comments section. Remember to indicate your suburban state. That'll help me a lot when I'm answering your questions. And make sure you hit the like button. Um, we've also got lots of giveaway prizes. Uh, so post your questions in the comments and they'll give you a chance to win. So we head straight into the, um, the Q&A, the questions here. And... Our first question comes from uh, Tiana of Renmark, South Australia. So I think there's a photo to come up because um, Tiana's got some, she thinks she's got some uh, mite in the lawn and do I have any ideas on treating the lawn? Um, <clears throat> look, I have to say, Tanya, I'm uh, sorry, Tiana, I'm not a, a lawn expert. It's a bit hard for the first question to come up with. I'm not an expert. However... I've got a little bit of information for you. So it's hard to see from the photo whether in fact you've got mites. Um, but if you do have mites, generally by the time the soil or the, the grass goes completely brown, the mites have gone and it's hard to treat them then because it's it's past. So, um, but if you do still have mites in the lawn, um, I would be looking at a, a miticide for sure. You find that mites are most prevalent in kaikuyu um, or cooch. So um, if you've got either of those, the chances are you might have. I guess preventative is way better than having to treat. So in future, make sure that you've got um, a good amount of water through winter time if you're in a drier area of the country. Um, and then also try to uh, uh, keep your soil healthy. Looking at, looking at using a good fertiliser uh, adequate amount of water and uh, yeah keep keep the fertilizer up to it every every few weeks and that'll certainly help um, if you are using a miticide um, many of them have a sulfur base in them so I would uh, be inclined to make sure that you add some microbes and some good mineral fertilizer after you've treated the mites um, that way <clears throat> you'll end up with um, a much healthier soil. And, of course, as we know, the healthier the plant is, the less pest and diseases you're going to get. Um, perhaps um, take, a, um, take out a, uh, a spade depth and uh, a width. Take that down to your garden centre. They might be able to help you more by actually seeing it. Um, but, yeah, if you do have mites, treat it. Okay, so the next question is from um, Marilyn. 
and Marilyn's in Adelaide in South Australia and I and she says she has some finger limes being delivered next week and she'd like to know what soil or potting mix she could plant them in. One of them is going into a pot and one's going into the ground. So um, with citrus, you want uh, in a pot, you want a good uh, premium potting mix that's well drained. Uh, make sure that the pot's up off the ground uh, so it's got good air, air flow through the bottom, um, through un underneath it. And um, then for the ground, you want a good compost. Uh, your soil needs to be well draining. So, and I know in South Australia, there's quite a lot of clay. So if you're in a clay area, uh, Marilyn, I would be inclined to make sure that you either use some gypsum in your soil and or mound the um, soil up so that your plant is sitting slightly above it, gives it a chance, above the clay, it gives it a chance to set a much better root system. Um, and that'll certainly help. Good luck with that. Okay, so then we go on to um, Samantha, and Samantha's in Wollongong, and she's planted a bunch of cauliflower seeds in the same hole, and do you have to separate them, or can she leave them to grow like that? Well, actually, Samantha, I'd be moving them. Um, I'd probably give them a, a dose of sea salt, um, half-strength sea salt, just to help the root system re-establish, um, and very carefully take those out of the soil and separate them and plant them in. Otherwise, you'll find they'll just crowd each other out. So yeah, a little bit of work there for you to go on with. Okay, Tyson from Baronia. Hey, Tyson. And you've asked, do I have any advice for growing plants from seed? What soil should I use and where can I get the soil? Tyson, get down to your local garden centre um, and get yourself some seed raising mix. That's the best one to use. If you've got um, premium potting mix in it already, you can use it, but it's a little bit strong. So you're better off to get something like seed raising mix, which again is moisture holding, but well draining. Nice to hear from you, Tyson. Thanks. Um, Liz, and we're not sure where Liz is from, but she has, I have a large rectangular planter on a balcony um, but during lockdown, all I could get was a very poor quality potting mix. I regular water, regularly uh, water with some sea salt, um, but there is anything else I can do to improve the quality other than pull the plants out and start again. Um, well, look, sea salt is a really good way to do it. Don't overdo the sea salt. Um, every few weeks, give it a good um, strength. If your plants um, are suffering, Perhaps you want to do a half-strength sea soil once a week, but only half-strength is fine. Um, it really is a, um, an issue of getting good potting mix when you can, um, but I understand what happened during lockdown. So um, maybe some fertiliser, some liquid fertiliser, um, would help with the soil also and build up the, the microbes, etc. in it. I um, have a bit of a love for a product and it has both uh, fish emulsion and kelp in it, as well as microbes. Um, so if you can get hold of some a fertilizer like that, you'll find that you'll build up the microbes and build up all the bacteria in your potting mix and it'll be a lot better for your, your plants. Good luck with that, Wendy. Uh, sorry, Liz. But we are heading off to Wendy now and Wendy's in Geelong and her foxgloves have flowered two years in a row. Will they flower again next year or do I need to start again? Look, they may and they may not. Um, they generally are a biennial flower, so you're quite lucky that they've come in once. And I'm assuming, um, Wendy, that perhaps the first year or the second year, the flowers perhaps weren't as big as lust um, and, and as many. Uh, so you may find that you get that they do continue to work well for you and next year you may not get uh, plants uh, or flowers at least that are as tall or as lush as the year before. Um, but with foxgloves, I grow those in my garden. I absolutely love them. So what I tend to do is I'll put in um, a batch of them this year um, and then they are the ones that are following on from the previous planting. So I tend to plant them every couple of years um, then that means that I've got a lot more flowers happening. So uh, enjoy those. They're fantastic, aren't they? Um, so Susan is Miranda, and that, Miranda's in New South Wales. And I'm sorry, Susan, I don't know where Miranda is, but we'll give this a go. Uh, my dwarf mandarin leaves keep going yellow. Do you know what this could be? Well, there's a few things 
uh, mandarins could go yellow from. This time of the year when the heat comes in, it can be that there's um, too much sun on them. Uh, they do like a lot of sun, but if they can get sunburnt. Um, if they're not getting enough um, water and if perhaps if they haven't had enough fertiliser at the beginning of the season, um, they can then struggle with it. Um, you can also get them from uh, the most common thing, I guess, with uh, citrus uh, would be that you um, you haven't fed it enough minerals or the soil hasn't been able to provide enough minerals to the, to the, the plant. So you usually uh, a good dose of trace elements will help that. So I would think it's probably trace elements at this time of the year. Get down to your garden centre and get one of the, get some of those for you. Um, Kelly is in WA. Hi, Kelly, and she's in the southwest. Um, and Kelly's mum gave her some um, either elks or staghorns, and she's got pups from a big plant, and I'm trying to keep them alive. She put them on boards, but I'm not sure that they're happy. How can I help them, please? Okay, so when you put them on the boards, um, I'm assuming that you put something in behind them to pad them out, um, like um, some sphagnum moss or something like that. Um, I would just make sure that you've tied them on uh, tight enough but not too tight around um, the crown, and then I would probably be giving them some slow-release fertiliser. Maybe a little bit of sea salt. I would go a half-strength sea salt only, and that could well help. Um, with your elks or your stags. So stags, just to give you an idea, elks have the much thinner um, leaves coming out and stags have a much broader uh, leaf. So that may help you be able to identify what you've got too. Okay, so um, uh, Christmas is just around the corner and now it's time um, to find the right gifts for your loved ones. Um, here's a great idea from The Garden Lover. Take a look at this clip. Well, it's great to catch up with you again today, David. You look like you have been out in the sun. Is the is weather brightening up a bit there in Victoria? Yeah, we've had some terrific days out this way. So I've been at the farm uh, busily planting our hippiastrum and dahlia crops. Um, oh. So it's a busy times. It's good times uh, when you're getting new crops in. That's fantastic. Mate, um, with, with warmer weather, um, with I suppose uh, still a fair bit of moisture in the soil. Gardens are growing pretty well at the moment and uh, it's the time to get out and get active. And with Christmas just around the corner, um, probably a, a bit of a hand tool kind of gift would be the ideal scenario, wouldn't it? Yeah, wouldn't that be fantastic? It is a good time to be getting in the garden. And uh, I think with the holiday season approaching, everyone would have a bit of time to get out there and, and uh, get the place ship shaped for the uh, for the festive season. So yeah. we do have an offer on the hand tools uh, for everybody. Your, tell us about your hand tools because they really are pretty special tools. They're not uh, not your run-of-the-mill plastic or um, or steel. These These are quite special. No, I suppose over your time in the garden, Trevor, you develop your favourites, don't you? And uh, and you, you go through the full gamut of the different tools that are available to you and uh, place them in uh, in different places and have to get some more. Uh, yes. So I've just found over time that, that I love the, the wooden handled tools. They seem to weather really well, feel really comfortable in your hands. And, um, and then the quality stainless steel that you, that you combine with them. So mm -hmm. we developed that range for ourselves uh, you know, Van Berkel's special tools celebrating, you know, the family that's been uh, gardening for, for 70 years. And look, you know, um, my I, I come from a, a dairy farm background. My grandfather was a dairy farmer. And, uh, you know, I think you probably start out with those cheaper tools sometimes, but you inevitably, you know, his favourite tools were the stainless steel tools. They, they really do last and they're fantastic to use. Yeah, absolutely. And, and even in that industry, you know, there's probably newer versions and uh, more efficient versions, but you would have some comfort in, in, uh, in, the, in the things that you've experienced for a long time. So sometimes mm. the, um, the good old fashioned products are still some of the best ones. The tools that last. So tell me, so you've got, got this special offer, hand tools and a pruner. That's a, that's a pretty good deal. What is What have we got? So we've got the we've got the three tools. We've got a uh, we've got a scoop, uh, a multi tool which does a bit of the weeding and that for you, and a trowel as well, combined mm -hmm. with uh, with my beautiful wooden handled secateurs. Um, oh, so we've got them at a, I think forty percent off, so fifty nine dollars for for the uh, for the combination. 
sorry, the pruner and because normally you'd be paying $59 just for a pruner. Just for not for this one, but yeah, and the box kit I think is like $89 or, or a bit more. So putting oh. the pruner in with the with the box kit. I've got one here, Trev. I'll just uh, lift it up. Beautifully presented. Wow. The three tools. Great gift. The ultimate gift. Now, now, hang on a second. Just let me clarify. They're normally $98.90. Did you say you've dropped them down to $59? To $59, Trevor, including the pruner. Wow. That's awesome, David. What a, what a great deal. So how do people get their hands on them? As always, Trevor, go to the website, gardenexpress.com.au, and we'll have that one up in our, uh, in our Christmas office, uh, flashing screen across the homepage, ready to order. So now it's time to place an order and you will deliver direct to people's doorstep as well. That's the great thing about Garden Express. Absolutely. So we just want to be mindful of, uh, of the postal thing that happens around the 10th or 12th of, uh, of December. So mm -hmm. I think our last shipment is the 17th um, to, to guarantee product getting in by Christmas. All right. Well, we, we are on the second. Now is the time, folks, to place your order with David and the team there at uh, Garden Express, gardenexpress.com.au, and you're going to be giving one of the best gifts you could ever give. Absolutely. Gifts that last, gifts that are of good purpose and for the right time. Good on you, mate. Thanks very much, David. That's an awesome deal. Great talking to you, Trevor. Garden Express are Australia's leading mail order gardening service, offering a wide range of quality garden products. Each week on the Garden Gurus Live, the team at Garden Express will share a weekly offer. So make sure after today's show, you jump online and visit their website. Thanks, David and Trevor. That looks fantastic. I love the look of those tools. Um, great present. Great, great idea for, for Christmas for you, the gardener in your life. So let's get on with some more questions because there's quite a few of them happening today. Um, so we have Samantha from Wollongong and she has a greenhouse that's in the sun and she's wondering if she can uh, needs to take her plants out of it or whether she can leave them in the, in the shade and the uh, glass house at least. Uh, look, glass houses are normally there for uh, winter to attract the sun, to uh, build the growth of uh, whatever you're planting, whatever you're growing in them. Um, in West Australia, um, uh, and perhaps even in Wollongong, I think maybe the sun uh, would be too hot for plants in the summertime. I'd be very careful about burn. So perhaps keep an, an eye on what you're growing and uh, and then you'll be able to judge. But if it starts, if you start seeing some burning, certainly take it out. Otherwise, um, if they're plants that need a lot of sun and you can't provide that in Wollongong, then leave them in. So a little bit of yes and no there, I'm sorry. Um, so we're off to South Australia and it's in the southeast of South Australia. And Helen has asked, she's got some seedlings of yesterday, today and tomorrow. That's the beautiful um, uh, Bronsfelsia plant. And uh, she wants to know, they're nearly a, um, a metre tall upright, uh, but she wants to make them bushier. Um, that's quite a simple thing to do. Um, I would be tip pruning those, so take the, the tops out and also the side branches. Just take the tips out of those and you should see some some uh, good growth on those, especially at this time of the year. Um, perhaps a good fertiliser also would be good and that would just push them on a bit even a bit further. So, uh, Parramatta, Anya, um, I'm thinking of growing pyrethrum daisies to combat some insects. And did I have any advice, please? And she heard they were hardy and you can't kill them. You can kill any plant, but pyrethrums are pretty hardy. You're quite right. Um, look, yes, pyrethrums will help or assist with the insects, but not always keep them away completely. You would have to drown your garden in pyrethrum daisies for them to be of, um, of great value. However, um, I still use them for those sorts of things. I tend to look at a lot of companion, excuse me, companion planting, and that will um, that'll help you with all sorts of pests and diseases. So yeah, I would go ahead with them. And yes, they are very hardy and they're very, very pretty in your garden. Use them as a border. They look fantastic. Um, and hopefully they'll help you with the pests also. Um, thanks, Anya. So now we're up into the northern parts of New South Wales and Marianne has asked, have we got any tips on getting desert roses to flower? Okay, so desert roses will need um, 
can take a fertilizer in the summertime, um, spring, end of spring, early summer, probably once a week if you really feel you need to. I'm more inclined to do it at least once every three weeks. Um, and then you should get some fertilizer. Just use a good um, water-based fertilizer, um, and it should it, they should flower really well for you. Um, they're not something that shies away from flowering. So um, if it's an, a new plant and it's a young plant, you may not get a lot of flowers out of it. Otherwise, um, yeah, give it some fertilizer in um, end of spring and early summer, and um, Take it right through to probably even uh, middle of January um, and you should get some really good flowers on that. Um, okay, so Doreen's in, uh, sorry, Leanne is in Doreen in Victoria and um, she's dug up her tulip bulbs and does she need to cut off the roots before she stores them in a paper bag? Look, I don't normally. The roots um, will generally fall off uh, relatively easily on their own. Um, I tend to... You, you will have left them, I assume, if you're only just digging up your tulip bulbs. You would have left them to die down. You would have fed them as they're dying down. Um, cut, first thing you do is cut the seed head off, feed them, let them die down. And then as you pull them up, you'll find that all the foliage will come away. If not, you need to cut that off. Um, I sometimes rub the bottom of the bulb just gently and the the roots um, have dried out enough they'll they'll fall off otherwise leave them on um, I do tend to um, use sulfur and I'm fairly careful about using sulfur in the soil but I use sulfur um, on the bulbs before I store them away because that'll keep the mice away from them and you'll have a much healthier bulb to plant next year and don't forget with your tulip bulbs put them in the fridge for a few weeks before you plant them out next year uh, for those of us in WA, I'm not sure what you do in other parts um, of um, Australia, but in WA, um, I tend to plant my, my tulip bulbs at the end of May, beginning of June. So that's a little bit more information than you're asking for, but uh, we're going to head off to Canberra with Jeanette. Uh, can a hibiscus syriacus grow in a pot? Yes, it can in a big enough pot. Um, you know, Syriacus will often grow to around about three metres, so you're going to need a good wide pot. And it's not so much the depth of the pot as it is the width of the pot that you're going to need. So get something that I suggest, excuse me, is around about the size of a, say, 70 metres, 70 centimetres to a metre wide. Say a, a wine barrel size pot or vessel would work well. Um, use a good um, premium potting mix. Uh, make sure it's well drained. And again, I can't um, say enough times, keep the pot up off the ground and well-drained soil. Um, so good luck with that. The Syriacus is a great little plant. Uh, Margaret from uh, is from Belgrave in Victoria, and she has a peony tree. Sadly, it's never flowered. It must be six or more years old. What do I need to feed it or have I planted it too deep? Look, I'm not sure if you've planted it too deep. And here's another question where I have to admit that I'm not an expert on peonies. We don't grow peonies in West Australia. Um, and as much as I'd like to have a garden in Tasmania or Victoria for a year or two to grow something like peonies, I haven't done it. Um, but look, I would suggest that you try using um, a uh, fertiliser like perhaps something like EcoVital, which is my favoured fertiliser. It's got um, a lots of um, microbial activity in it and that'll certainly help with the soil. It may, may help to boost on a flower. So I'm sorry if I haven't answered that particularly well. Um, but yeah, I would, um, if you haven't got the answer you need from me, perhaps try your garden centre and they'll certainly be able to give you that sort of advice. Thanks. All right, so Cloncurry in northern Queensland, way up the top there, Nikki. And, and Nikki has asked, she's having lots of issues with ants covering all over my plants that are in pots. What could I use to get rid of them? Well, um, if you've got ants in your pots, it's generally a sign of a symptom of something else. And that would generally be something like scale or a, um, a sap-sucking insect of some sort. So what you need to do, um, Nikki, is follow those ants, have a look where it is, and see if you can find scale. Scale is that little, um, if this is the, um, the stem of a tree, it's a little cap over 
a whole bunch of, of scale inside this little cap. And you'll see it's like a shield. And it can be black, it can be white, um, but you'll see it on your plants. Now, the ants come in for the sap that they're, that is exuding out from underneath that shield. Um, and if you can then uh, get rid of the scale, you will get rid of the ants. So use something like a horticultural oil. Um, I like a pest oil. There's one out there that's got, it's called Hippo Enhanced. And what it does is it attracts all the uh, predator insects in. So that'll help you in your garden as well. So hope you can get rid of those. Check out for the scale. All right. Um, thanks for sending in all your questions through. It's great to hear from you. And um, if you're enjoying um, today's show, please uh, give us a like. And don't forget when you're answering the questions, please tell me where you're from. It helps me to answer the question for you. Um, so right now, um, if you're stumped for festival ideas and need indoor plant advice, last week um, Trevor had a chat with uh, Love the Garden's Karen Goldie to get some creative garden tips for Christmas take a look at this clip it's worth it it's great well karen it's lovely to catch up with you again today now it's looking very festive at your house at the moment tell me about what you're up to it is hi trevor hi everyone great to be back and who can believe it's december and it feels like only yesterday that we were making succulent christmas trees yeah, and I tell you what, that was a that was a huge hit at the time. But you've come up with a different spin. Those those bottle brush, the calistamen that are there, are yep. sensational. But what have you done there? Yeah, so this is um, another um, quick and easy and cheap. This this activity can cost you nothing um, to just decorate the sideboard or, or decorate the mantelpiece or the Christmas table. So a really simple, easy idea to do with the kids. Okay, so tell us what you've done. All right. So you just need an empty jar yep. and jam jars, pasta jars. All of these are fantastic. So you just grab mm -hmm. your jar, soak off the labels, and then we grab a bottle brush. So we're just, and these um, beautiful calistamens are out of my garden. Wow, they look amazing. And, and so you're red. Christmas. It's beautiful. Yes. Exactly. And and I must say, um, Christmas at my house is always an Australian botanical Christmas theme as well. Yeah, love it. So we just pop the pop the bottle brush into the jar. Yeah. And then we just top it up with some water. So with the water, I always use rainwater. Mm -hmm. And why, even why when is, think, why is that? Uh, just because there's no there's no chlorine, there's no added chemicals, it's yep. just nice and fresh, and it's exactly what the plants would receive if they were out in the garden. Okay, good advice. So, so we fill it right to the very top, mm -hmm. pop on your lid, and always make sure that you use the same lids that match the jars as well, so there's no leakage. Yep. No leaking. Turn it upside down. And it's that's like a little totally... snow, like a little snow dome. So so far yeah. that that's cost us nothing. Mm -hmm. And then all you need is some ribbon. And yep. uh, I actually uh, I keep all my Christmas ribbons that I get on Christmas hampers and things like right. that. So yep. they're perfect to repurpose for this use. Mm -hmm. And you just grab grab a ribbon. We'll go, we'll go with the gold one for this one. And see that. And then we just tie that around the bottom, put a lovely little bow. That's such a simple but really effective gift idea too, I reckon. That's just beautiful. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I like to use the um, metallic ribbons, particularly with the wire in the edges. Yep. And then you can shape out the bows. But it's just so, it's a safe, quick, cheap, alternative for a Christmas um, table decoration. And these ones here, you can see I've even um, put some little beads around them as uh -huh. well, so you can decorate them a little bit more. And another really cute, cute idea, which looks great at night on the Christmas table, is mm -hmm. you know these little copper string of lights that you can get? Yeah. Um, they look fantastic if you just throw them in on the table and pop them around 
and then your calistamins actually blow, blow at night. Or I you could use the little, little tea light candles yeah. and pop them behind and they glow and they're like a little Aussie, Aussie version of a snow dome. You are Simple so clever. That's gonna be and that's these, gonna be incredibly popular. Yeah, these last for weeks. These you can you can um, start making these soon, uh, ready for your Christmas table. They'll last a good three weeks in the water. I change the water in them weekly, um, mm -hmm. and um, yeah, they will last beautifully. So, what you, I mean, bottle brushes are pretty prolific um, with yeah. their flowering. So you only need to take what you need, leave some for the birds and the bees, and um, they just make a beautiful, beautiful little table decoration for the, Christmas. Something a bit different. Red and gold looks so festive. Now, I, I wanted to ask you, one of the, the things that many people will be giving as gifts this Christmas are indoor plants. It's a big deal. Mm. But um, if yeah. you're giving your plants to somebody who's not quite sure how to care for them, or maybe you're giving them to somebody who is actually really passionate about indoor plants, the gift of all the bits and pieces that you need to keep your indoor plants looking good through the year is probably as important as the actual plant itself, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and what plant lover wouldn't love um, a gift of, you know, some of these beautiful, um, mm. yeah, Osmocote products that are just perfect. Um, the pour and feed uh, is my go-to for all of my indoor plants as well. Um, yeah. And the mist and feed is fantastic, great for a foliar feed. I was going to say, so so you've got um, you've got a couple of mist and feeds there. So so yeah. one one being obviously um, particularly good for foliage plants. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And then the, the My, one that you yeah. held up is particularly good for flowers, including things like orchids, right? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Great for your orchid lover. This one. Uh, My fiddle leaf fig absolutely loves um, that particular indoor one, and mm -hmm. like I said, it's really great because. Giving them that foliar feed also makes you inspect your leaves and dust your leaves. Gives you give your leaves a good dust and a check over for for any pests um, before you spray it on. So um, yeah, that one's fantastic. You can apply that every seven to fourteen days. And for people who don't know how this works, do you want to give them a quick rundown? Yeah, yeah. So basically, um, a lot of our other osmocotes uh, and pour and feed products actually feed through the soil. So they get mm -hmm. down into the to the root zone. Um, that particular one there that you've got, the spray with the mist, actually feeds through the leaves. So um, the fertilizer, um, it's, it's already mixed up in there. It's already pre-mixed, no mixing or fucking around, around yep. with it. You just get ready to use, spray it on, spray it directly onto the leaves. I also like to do the underside of the leaves as well. Um, mm -hmm. And often I'll alternate. So I might do the top um, it, one week and then maybe a week or two, 10 days later, do the underside of them as well when yep. I'm inspecting for pests. And um, that will feed actually through the foliage. So it's just a, a different Incredible. method of feeding. Yeah, really yeah. good to alternate yeah. alternate between the, the different methods, I find. So I see you've got the gift box there. And in the gift box, you've got the pour and feed. We've got, yes. the, we've got the, the mist and feed, which, uh, you know, that's yep. a new product. The pour and feed is the most, um, I think the most, uh, awarded product that you guys have ever had. It's um it's been so well received. What else have you got in there? Oh, it has, yes. Um, it won the product of the year um this year um in the garden gardening category. Uh, so yeah. that's uh that's just fantastic, so exciting and so well deserved because it, it is a brilliant product. Um, what the other one looking is for a more organic sort of approach. Yep, yep. So um actually that's a good that's a good point actually with my natives. With my natives, um, I actually use um, and more organic products with organic matter in it. And mm -hmm. um, as, as you know, um, it's very important to use a native-specific fertiliser as well um, yep. because they're formulated uh, with extremely minimal or no phosphorus, which is very important because natives are very sensitive to that. Um, but my go-to now is actually Osmocote plus organics, plus the organic matter. Um, okay. That is what I actually use for all of my um, natives out in the garden. Um, but uh, we've also got our performance naturals range as well, and all purpose is perfect for natives. Just, just for the exercise so people understand the difference. Um, so people will know Osmocote, the controlled release fertiliser, but the plus organics, particularly yeah. if you've got poor or, or tired soils, mm. Um, the great thing about that is you've got the benefits of Osmocote controlled release over a long period of time. 
but the organics, you've got that slow release plus the, the soil improvement element exactly. of it. So you're putting, you're putting carbon back into the soil, which is improving you know, moisture retention, nutrient retention, and general sort of microbial health in the soil as well. Yeah, absolutely. So our traditional Osmocote is your controlled release fertiliser for fertilising yep. the plants. But as you say, the Osmocote plus organics is our hybrid product. So it's doing two things. It's fertilising the plant, but it's also conditioning the soil, which is mm. uh, fantastic. So uh, really people good. who are living in the, say, the Mornington Peninsula or um, maybe the, the northern beaches of Sydney or certainly in, in around the Perth metropolitan area with sandy soils, yeah. that, that would be my go-to because you're actually improving soil and improving nutritional value in the soil at the same time. Yeah, absolutely. So you've got um, sort of, you know, your, your fish extracts, your blood and bones, that sort of thing. It's in a pelletized form, but it's extremely, it's extremely low odour. So, um, so yeah, so great, great benefit there um, yeah. of your um, pelletized plus CRF in there. Yeah, very clever. So that's, I think that's an important gift. So if you're going to give the gift of love to, to somebody who loves their garden, um, we're talking about things like mist and feed, pour and yep. feed, um, Osmocote plus organics, plus maybe the original Osmocote as well. Yeah, yeah. Even the, um, the Osmocote specifically formulated for indoor plants. Yes. So, and and all of these products, um, ten dollars, pretty much ten dollars and under. So, wow. um, you know, excellent for a Kris Kringle gift as well. Forget forget the chocolate. Um, yep. I think we've all consumed enough chocolate this year. Let's uh, let's give a gift for for the for the plant lover and for their plants. Give them give them the chocolate. You've done it again. You are an amazing person. It's fantastic having you back on the show. It's such good ideas you've shared again today, and of course. It's looking very festive and Christmassy at your place. I'm sure you're going to have a beautiful Christmas. Yeah, thank you, Trevor. Same to you and, and same to all the viewers. I hope everyone has a wonderful Christmas. Thank you so much for having me back. Thanks, Karen. Thanks very much. What a great idea. This show is brought to you by The Garden Gurus and Evergreen Garden Care. Evergreen Garden Care and their market-leading brands are some of the most trusted consumer brands within the garden care market. They produce high-quality garden care products designed to help people create their own green oasis. Whether it's a garden, a balcony or potted indoor plants, they want to inspire anyone, anywhere to be able to easily create and maintain their own garden. To find out more about Evergreen Garden Care, head to www.lovethegarden.com. That was great, Karen. Thanks very much. Some fabulous ideas. Um, excellent Christmas ideas there, right? So maybe I've got one for you too. I've brought along a plant of the week and what I would like to speak about this week is Hoyas. This is one that you probably, most of you will have seen at some stage. Um, if you're a Hoya lover or even if you've just seen that spotted them in the garden centre, this particular one's got a nice little spotty leaf on it and it's pretty. It's got a pink flower, etc easy to grow. However, that's just the teaser. I actually wanted to bring in this one for you, which I think is fantastic. Let's see if I can tip it so you can see the heart-shaped leaves. Aren't they great? Okay, so this is the Hoya kerii, or the heart-shaped uh, Koya, as you'd know. It. Now, um, these uh, Hoyas come from, I'm just going to move it over here. Hoyas come from Southeast Asia, um, so they, their position, and they position in, um, in a, usually in a situation. So um, what you'd like to do, where you want to put the, uh, the Hoya in the position is in a light area. Um, you want to avoid putting it in um, a northern aspect. So if you're growing it in, inside, you can have it on a windowsill or close to a window, on certainly on the south or the east side. Um, if you're in west excuse me, West Australia or in a hotter climate, uh, be careful not to put it anywhere near the west or north. It's just going to be too hot for it. And, of course, Hoyas grow outside as well, okay, and they do need a good amount of light. Um, soil, as far as the soil goes, it's one of the crucial things with Hoyas when you're growing them. You want to have a good, well-drained soil. Um, so many people start with a good quality potting mix or a premium potting mix, and um, I've known um, uh, some of the growers uh, to add 
quite a lot of the the chips that you get from um, the orchid potting mix so the like the orchid bark that you find the chunky bit that'll open it up or you could use um, some perlite that will certainly do it for you also but it's very important that the, um, the Hoya has a well-drained soil. It needs to hold some moisture, but well-drained soil. Of course, they're epivites. So in the, in the nature, they would be uh, climbing up amongst the trees and over branches, etc. and their roots are exposed. But of course, as I mentioned, they're from Asia, so they were in a very humid situation. So their, their roots were always humid, but very open, which is what you want, need your soil. If you don't have a good open soil, they won't flower well for you. Um, the pot size, uh, that's another um, very important thing to consider when you've got Hoyas, is that you want your Hoya roots to be almost pot bound. So if you need to pot uh, or pot up um, your Hoya, try and do that into the next size up only. Don't give it a generous amount of soil around its roots or it'll take an awful long time for it established to start growing again and flowering. Um, the, the fertiliser um, I use, again, I just use a good um, indoor fertiliser, and I'm sure you've got a fertiliser that you use that you prefer for your indoor plants. Um, almost any fertiliser for, for a Hoya is okay. They're slow growing, very slow growing, um, and therefore they don't take a lot of fertiliser. So don't over-fertilise them. They don't need it. You're wasting your money and putting something into the ground, into the pot that's not necessary. Um, pests, I guess the only thing that they really get is um, mealybug. And uh, mealybug is a little white, it's almost like a little bit of cotton. And you'll see them right in the node, right where the, the leaf um, meets the stem. Um, and they, uh, they come from the soil. So you need to treat them because uh, mealybug will damage your plants considerably. Um, but you need to treat them at least three weeks in a row. Um, and then I tend to also treat the soil. So I will put my pot into a saucer or a vessel underneath it with some of that mix uh, that you've treated the, the actual plant with. And I let that then draw up into the soil and it will kill those off. But don't think that just by treating them once, it's going to happen for you. Um, now, the... My tips, I guess, with growing a Hoya is that you need to uh, make sure that your pot is small that the, or, or the root system at least is come out to that pot and not over potted. You also need very well drained soil. And the other, the third thing to get flowers from these is you need good light. It will not grow in a dark situation. If it's outside, you need to have it in dappled light um, so that it does have at least six hours of good sunlight. Otherwise, you'll find it won't flower. But once they start flowering, when you get it right and you get them flowering, my last tip would be is if you're growing it inside, be aware that the flowers actually exude um, and weep a sack. So if you've got it on one of uh, a nice piece of furniture, you might want to be careful and either lay something down underneath it or when it's flowering, perhaps move it. Um, they're fantastic. Look, um, one of the, the young women that I work with um, at the garden centre, she has a bit of a passion for these and she grows them in her bathroom. So the humidity is, is, um, is well and truly helpful there. Um, and another girlfriend of mine I noticed on the weekend when I went to visit, she's taken loads of cuttings and uh, left them in jars of water, but left them a lot longer than what I would normally have done. And they're actually flowering in jars. So it's another one of those plants that you can um, use around your house in glass, in jars of, of water. They're a fantastic little plant. Um, oh, the only other thing I wanted to say to you was, be careful when you're buying a Hoya. Make sure you buy one like this that has, has the stem on it, right? If you're given or, or um, buy them, and sometimes I've seen them sold like this, where it's just the leaf upright in a pot, you'll find that if it doesn't have part of the stem, it'll only ever always be a leaf. You won't get a vine from it. So if you grab one off a friend or if you go out to buy one, make sure that you get some of the, the stem along with the leaf. And then you've got a node and it will produce a really nice vine for you. 
So I hope you've enjoyed that. Um, they're a beautiful plant. Might make a, a good, nice little gift wrap on that. I think that would go as a, a, a nice plant for anybody for Christmas. All right. So let's get back to some um, some questions. And Callie, um, if a Hoya was in a pot outside, where would it suit? Okay, Callie. Well, yes. Uh, make sure that it's got good sunlight. Um, I, if you're in WA or if you're in somewhere where you get that hot wind, um, hot easterly winds we get here, keep it out of the hot easterly winds. Make sure that it's got at least six hours of good dappled sunlight. Um, I'm not sure that I would be putting it into a full sun position, but certainly dappled sunlight. And then follow all the other instructions and you should have a fantastic plant. All right. Thanks, Kelly. Um, we've got another fantastic episode of Garden Gurus coming up this weekend. Um, take a look at this little sneak peek. This is the Hydra Garden Elite, and it comes with three specifically designed Hydra soil pots. These guys are one of the most amazing creatures that I've ever seen. Looking for a way to add a splash of colour? Why not try growing one of these? The best way to apply is with one of these handheld spreaders. Okay, so Trisha has a red hydrangea and she wants to know if she needs to um, to keep it red, whether she needs to have anything in the soil. Um, Trisha, I don't know where you're from, so I can't, I can only guess about your soil. Uh, with hydrangeas, if you'd like the pinks and the reds, then you're looking at an alkaline soil. If you're wanting the blues, the mauves and the purples, then you're wanting an acidic soil. So I would um, test your soil um, and uh, take, look, dig down, um, say, you know, a spade depth away from the plant or away from where you're going to plant it, uh, six or seven inches, and take a tablespoon of soil from that. Using a, um, a, a spoon or your trowel, don't use your hands, it changes the acidity in the soil. Then take that down to your garden centre or get yourself a good uh, pH soil testing kit and test to see what it is. And then you'll know what you need to do. So if it's um, too alkaline, where it's going to go a pale pink, or um, then you need to change the acidity of the soil. Um, I would suggest that if you've got something that is as red as what you're saying, it may well have been one of the newer varieties that uh, were to be um, bright and deep, deep purple, and now it's gone a deep red. I had one happen to me, for me, myself. Okay, um, so then we're going to Carol. And Carol, I'm not sure where you are either, but we're, you've got a pomegranate that's never fruited. It's had plenty of flowers but no fruit, and what can I do? Well, Carol, I assume that the a lot of the flowers are dropping off, um, and that's generally with a, a pomegranate, um, a sign of perhaps underwater, excuse me, underwatering. Um, with the, the pomegranate, for the first three to four years, I tend to prune mine quite hard. And that means that you'll end up with a, a much, many more flowers on it. Okay, so it might be that you've just planted it and let it grow really um, sparse. So it may, it may be that you can give it a good um, haircut. Um, they like a pH of around about five to seven. Um, on the scale so have a look at that and they really enjoy a good amount of mulch so water adequate fertilizer um, and and good mulch and the other thing is to make sure that you've got lots of pollinators around so if you haven't got uh, lots of, of pollinators start planting around and close to that um, to all your fruit trees lots of selvias and you know perennial basils and things like that that bring those pollinators in it may be as simple as that so you really need to work out what it is for yourself there carol and amongst those those some um, answers all right and now we're off to bunbury in wa and jill wants to know can she grow an apricot from seed and how does she go about it we can grow an apricot for seed from seed it's going to take a lot longer for you to get fruit but it's fun and give it a go. So um, there's a couple of ways. If you germinate the stone out of the apricot fruit um, and you don't take off the hard layer or scarify it, uh, you'll find that it'll take a lot longer to, um, to germinate. 
but it's possible. So just have patience with that. Or take the hard core off, the hard shell at least off, and use the, the seed in the core of that. And then um, just germinate that and then plant it in uh, well-composted soil. Uh, once it's, it's probably, I would leave it for perhaps um, 10 or 15 centimetres and then I'd plant it out into some a potting mix in a pot and then transfer it from that into your garden. Keep in mind it could take 6 to 10 years before you've actually got apricots on it. But it's a fun project, so good luck with that one too. All right, so Leonie in Adelaide, she's ordered some aquilegias that she got from Garden Express. That's great. And they're finished flowering. Do I cut them back? I tend not to cut my aquilegias back. I will uh, cut the once the, the flower stem has um, has finished, once the flower is, is finished, cut the stem of that back, but leave the foliage. It's a beautiful foliage um, and it should last for you um, right through the season. Okay. Now we've got uh, Joanne. Hi, Joanne. Um, and I'm not sure where you're from either, Joanne. You must remember, can we put the suburb or where you're from? And it really helps me um, answer your question a little bit better just for your area. However, let's give this a go. Um, I've been told not to try growing things under a cholesterol. Is this true? And is there any way of making it a more plant-friendly plant? That's a difficult question, and I think I'm st I'm stuck on that one. I, you know, you're quite right in that. As I think about it, a lot of cholesterols I don't see a lot of lot growing under them. Um, but you know, um, I really need to uh, find out that answer for you, Joanne. I'm really sorry, I don't have the answer as to whether you can grow under a cholesterol. Um, Maybe we could get back to you on that one, and I'm really sorry. Uh, Marina's from Sydney, and uh, she's preparing the veggie garden. I came across a few ant nests, lots of eggs, any way to treat this safely. Yes, look, generally, uh, Marina, ants are in your garden because it's dry or in a pot because it's dry. So if you can keep that soil much more moist, you'll find that the ants will move on. Um, you, there are ant killers and things that you can use, but I think if you just um, moisten the soil, you'll find that they'll move on quite quickly. So we're very sorry that we didn't, if we didn't get to your question today, I'm very sorry. Um, and, uh, but we appreciate you watching and we hope you enjoyed today's live stream. Um, look, Lachlan will send out um, a message to all our seed winners today after today's show. And the garden gurus, don't forget, they'll be back next Saturday. There's only two more episodes, so don't miss that. Make sure you check your local TV guide so that you don't miss the last few episodes. They're well worth watching. Remember, you can always jump onto the website and catch up on our previous stories from the garden gurus um, at thegardengurus.tv or um, our YouTube channel, thegardengurus.tv. You can listen back on today's live stream and catch up on previous ep episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcast, and even Audible. Um, I'll be back next Monday for another session of The Garden Gurus at 12 p.m. Australian Eastern Daylight Time and 9 p.m. for the WA viewers. Happy gardening, everyone. Stay safe. The Garden Gurus is back this weekend. Make sure you check out your local TV guide for your local times.